Good morning. My name is Sarah Hammond, and I get to serve here at Vista as the associate community pastor. And we are so, so glad that you're here with us this morning. Um, I've been encouraged to assure all of you that there will be no mention of any Batman suit faux pas and no monkey nudity, so rest assured. Uh, if it's your first time with us here this morning, welcome to Vista. Uh, that's probably equal parts concerning and confusing. Uh, if you're feeling brave, you can go back and listen to the previous messages in our Apocalypse series because today we have arrived. Today we are finishing out our very first series on Revelation here at the Vista. And I don't know about you, but it was a lot more enjoyable than I expected it to be. How about you guys? I had my doubts. Yeah. I really had my doubts, and I had even more doubts after the very first message that Austin gave. You might remember he said, whoever uh, will get the phrase, embrace the weirdness tattooed on their body, gets to preach the very last sermon of the series. <laughs> no, I did not. <laughs> but to my knowledge, none of you did either. Okay, then. Here we go. So before we get into our message this morning, I want us to take a quick glance back and make sure that we're on the same page as John the Revelator, the author of Revelation. If someone were to ask you, what is the book of Revelation about? I hope that after this series, you might say something along the lines of, well, the book of Revelation is just a powerful revealing of Jesus Christ. That's really it. If you were to look up the word revelation in the dictionary, you might find something uh, along the lines of this, the making known of something that was previously unknown. The title to this book in my Bible, it says, The Revelation to John. Yours might look a little different. Mine says, The Revelation to John. So already we know that John is writing about something that he didn't previously know, but has now been revealed to him. Now, I'm not going to ask you guys to out yourselves here, but um, I'm suspicious and suspect that there's a few of you in here who may have at some point in your life referred to this book as Revelations. Just me? Yeah, I've definitely done that, and I'll probably do that in this actual sermon, just a warning. Revelations, this word for me just begs for an S, but it's not there. The revelation to John, one revelation now, we know that John is going to write all sorts of wild and weird things in this book. We've, we've read a lot of those in this series. But all of these wild and weird things are going to point to one singular revelation. And John is going to identify this one singular revelation in the very first sentence of his book or his letter. The revelation of Jesus Christ. And so while this book may contain a kaleidoscope of Old Testament promises and prophecies and some really wild and crazy imagery that we probably will never fully understand, what it all comes down to is this. The singular message of revelation is Jesus Christ, the slain Lamb of God, who promises to return one day to remove all the evil from his good world and make all things new. That is the revelation of Jesus Christ to John. The book of Revelation was not uh, meant to be a problem that is solved, and it was not written as this uh, secret code to decipher the timeline of Jesus' return, right? To quote one of my very favorite theologians, don't try to predict the end. You're gonna look like a dum-dum. 
Y'all know. <laughs> Y'all know. So revelation is not meant to be a problem that is solved. Rather, revelation is meant to be read as an act of worship and witness to Jesus. And so in an act of worship and witness to Jesus this morning, we're going to close out the book of Revelation and reading the very last chapter of John's letter, Revelation 22. If you have your Bibles, you can follow along. We're going to be picking up in verse 6. Now, I want us to recall that just before verse 6 and the beginning of chapter 22, John has been sharing this vision that the angel has shared with him of the new heaven and the new earth and the new Jerusalem. Austin talked about this a couple of weeks ago. He says the angel showed him the river of the water of life bright as crystal. And he said it's flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. And he shows him the tree of life. And he says it's yielding its fruit in each month. And the leaves are for the healing of the nations. John says no longer will there be anything accursed. And night will be no more because God will be their light. This is the vision that he has. And verse 5 actually marks the very end of John's very last vision in Revelation. And so we're going to pick up in verse 6. And I can almost just hear John and feel him coming out of this trance-like state after this beautiful vision that he's seen. So let's pick up in verse 6. And he, the angel, said to me, John, these words are trustworthy and true. And the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, has sent his angel to show his servants what must soon take place. And behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I heard and I saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed them to me. But he said to me, you must not do that, for I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers, the prophets, and with those who keep the words of this book. Worship God. And he said to me, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is near. Let the evil doer still do evil, and the filthy still be filthy, and the righteous still do right, and the holy still be holy. Behold, I am coming soon bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. Verse 13, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. So John emerges from this final vision and he begins to close out his letter with a series of interjections from the angel and from himself and from Jesus as well. And in all of these statements, there is this very clear sense of urgency. He says, let the evildoers still do evil and the filthy still do be filthy because the time is now. He's saying, don't wait. And Jesus says, behold, I am coming soon. And so they all have this sense of urgency. And that brings us back to the sort of ongoing dilemma that we face all throughout the book of Revelation. How can something be so urgent for John and so urgent for the angel and even for Jesus? How can their message be so urgent and yet in some sense we are still waiting for it, still waiting to see it happen? How do we reconcile what seems like this misplaced sense of urgency? Over and over again, Revelation confuses our sense of time. And 
our usual way of reckoning these things is forced to yield to the one who literally holds time in the palm of his hands. That's God. See, for us, time begins in the beginning. Revelate or Genesis 1-1, right? Uh, God created the heavens and the earth. But for God, in the beginning, just doesn't exist. And I don't know about you, but it's really difficult for my mind to comprehend this. But see, God does not sit in time the way that we do. Time is not for God. The psalmist writes about this in Psalm 90. Y'all turn with me in your Bibles if you want. Psalm 90, I want to read verses 1 through 4. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You return man to dust, and you say, Return, O children of man. For a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past, or a watch in the night. A thousand years in God's sight are just a watch in the night because God does not sit in time the way that we do. That's right. He transcends all of time. This time that you exist in right now, it is liminal. Liminal generally refers to a state of, of uh, transition. And so if you're anything like me, a visual might help you here. Um, a state of transition. So we live in this state of transition, this space between uh, one destination and the next. So we live in this liminal space between the what was and the not yet. The perfect sinless world that God created in Eden, in the garden, it no longer exists. It broke. And you and I, we live every day with the raw realization of what broke from the beginning pain and sin and longing for something more. What was, it no longer is. But revelation, it gives us this peek into the what's next. It gives us this look behind the curtain into the what will be and what will come and what is going to be. It's not here yet, but it is coming soon. And soon may not look how we think it's going to look because God does not sit in time the way that we do. So we're here in this time of waiting, this transitional period, this liminal season. We're here and everything is broken and nothing is, nothing is how God intended it to be and we feel that weight. This is what the churches that John wrote Revelation to were facing as well. This is how they lived in this liminal space and they were being persecuted and they were losing heart. Now, can you imagine God giving John this vision to these churches who are hurting and who are longing for something? They're being persecuted. Imagine God giving John this vision for these churches that God is going to come back, that he is going to come, Jesus is going to come, and he's going to remove all of this evil that they are facing, and he's going to make everything new. Oh, but you're actually not going to see any of that. Yeah, it's not going to happen in your lifetime, so sorry about that. Imagine verse 12 saying, behold, I am coming eventually. How disheartening would that have been for these churches? 
No, God gives John this message of urgency so that the memory of what Jesus has done could converge with the hope of what Jesus will do because that is what these churches needed. And that is what we need. We need for memory and hope to converge and release a new sense of purpose for the church. What we understand in this section of scripture is that the message of Jesus is for now, and it always has been. It was then, and it is now, and it will always be for now, until that incredible day that we see the new heaven and new earth with our very own eyes. Let's finish out John's letter. Revelation 22, verse 14. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and that they may enter the city by the gates. Outside are the dogs and sorcerers and the sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. The spirit and bride, they say, come, and let the one who hears say, come, and let the one who is thirsty come, and let the one who desires take the water of life without price. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city which are described in this book. He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you all. Amen. What we understand in this part of the scripture is that the message of Jesus is for all. The message of Jesus, it is an invitation to everyone. Do you thirst? Christ is for you. Do you desire to take this water of life, this message of Christ's redemption? It is yours without price. You are invited. And if we understand that the message of Jesus is for everyone, then surely we understand that the message of Jesus and why the message of Jesus is for now and why it always has been. Because if generation after generation of churches had no sense of immediacy for the world around them to know the message of Christ's return and the invitation to come and worship God, then generation after generation of people who thirsted for something would have never known who it was that they were missing. And you and I may very well not be sitting in this church here today. The message of Jesus is for now and it always has been. And the message of Jesus is for absolutely everyone. And the last thing that we see in this, in this particular section, and really throughout all of the, of the entire letter of Revelation, is that the message of Jesus is the purpose of the church. We know that John wrote Revelation as a letter, uh, but it's easy for us to get wrapped up in all of this wild and weird imagery that we can forget that it is, in fact, this really intentional letter written to these churches. And then here at the close of John's letter, we find this very clarifying statement that reminds us not only who it is that 
is giving this message, but also who it's written for. Y'all read with me again in 22 verse 16. It says, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I, Jesus. This is actually the very first time that Jesus is going to identify himself by name in this letter. He wants to be very clear that this message is his. And he also wants to be very clear here at the close of John's letter that this message is given for the churches. In verse 17, he says, the spirit and the bride, the bride is us. The bride is the church. The spirit and the bride say, come. We, the church, the bride, we are here to issue an invitation to the world to come to Jesus. It's our purpose. It's why we're here. We're here to issue an invitation to the world to come to Jesus. In this liminal space that we live in, the space between the what was of God's perfect creation and the not yet of God's new Jerusalem. In this liminal space, there's no greater message than the message that Revelation gives. This unveiling, this powerful revealing of Jesus Christ because it's in this liminal space, this space that we are waiting God gave us Jesus. He gave us Jesus to rescue us from the power and the penalty of sin. He gave, him, he gave us Jesus now. And he gave us the Holy Spirit to live inside us, teaching and correcting and empowering us every day. This book of Revelation, it speaks to the not yet in terms of Christ's return. But it also speaks to the what already is, that the slain lamb of God, Jesus Christ, has already come and conquered sin and death. Church, sometimes we just need to be reminded that in this in-between, in this time of waiting, God gave us Jesus, and he is everything we need. He's everything I need, and he's everything you need. He's everything everyone needs. And we, the church, we're here to say so. We're here to invite everyone in to this space to worship God because the message of Jesus is for now, and it's urgent, and it's for everyone, and it's our purpose to say so. As we close, I want to glance back at verse 8. Y'all read verse 8 and 9 with me again. It says, I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I heard and I saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed them to me. But he said to me, you must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers, the prophets, and with those who keep the words of this book. Worship God. This cannot be a proud moment for John. I probably would have left this part out of the book if I were writing it. But John doesn't. And so we're, giving this, we're given this glimpse into John's humanity. He is so wrapped up in this incredible vision that the angel has shown him that he has this moment of misplaced affection. He falls down and he worships at the feet of the angel who, of course, says, don't do that. I'm just like you. He says, don't worship me, worship God, worship God. Church, our affections can so easily be 
misplaced. And sometimes we need to be reminded that God gave us Jesus for now, and he is everything that we need. And that God sent Jesus for everyone, and it is literally our purpose and our calling as the church to say so. And Jesus is coming back here again one day to make all things new. Sometimes we need to be reminded. And do you know what helps us remember this? It's worship. Worship God. Worship is this thread that is weaved all throughout the book of Revelation because it's in the worship of the church that the not yet is ushered into the present, converging memory and hope and filling us all with power and life. Power and life. The Spirit is here among us, the bride, the church. And he invites you, all who are thirsty, all who desire to come and worship him. He is coming soon, church, however he decides soon to be. Come, Lord Jesus. Let's pray. God, you give us this, this book, all of your word, really, to help us know you and long for you, God. And I know that there are many in this church who have not come and have no concept or understanding of what it is to worship you. God, I pray that you would stir in our hearts a longing for you, Jesus. God, I pray that you would awaken your church, that you would remember or remind us of all that you have done and all that you are going to do. God, would you converge those things here in, in Vista? Would you converge those things within all of your church, Lord, so that we could have a renewed sense of purpose? God, we're here to say the truth about who you are, and we're here to invite all to know you. So in this space right now, God, would you release, would you allow your spirit to show us a new beginning, a new vision for who you are and what you're doing. 